you because there's some of you in here and you're hanging by a thread. And that's the title of my message tonight is hanging by a thread. And there's some of you who 2019 was horrible. And you look back at it as thank goodness 2019 is over. But because of 2019, I feel like I'm hanging by a thread and I need God to rescue me going into 2020. And I want you to know that he is that lifeline. He will rescue you. But you have got to come to a crossroads. You have got to come to a crossroads of faith and trust. Because, see, many of you, you think you have faith, but you do not trust. And they go hand in hand. Because you cannot have one without the other. Because faith, and we'll get into that in just a little bit about what that is. But I want to ask you tonight, who do you trust? You know, there are very few people when you travel the world and you're, you're a public figure, there's very few people that you can truly, truly trust. But there comes a moment that trust is built. And you get each other's back. And that you're there for one another. And you don't just like each other when they look good. You don't just like each other when they sound good. You don't just like each other when everything is rosy and everything is great. You like them when they fall down. You like them when they don't look good, when they don't sound good, when their family's falling apart, when their kids are going into the world, when they're struggling with their own salvation, you are there to say, come on, I'm not letting you stay there. I'm not going to let you fall down. I'm not going to let you sink into the ground. I'm going to take you by the hand, and I'm going to pull you up, and I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to carry you. That's when trust is there. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about that. And I'm going to put my glasses on because I am 50 years old. And I just got new glasses. And the lady told me when I went in to get glasses, she said, yeah, you're going to need bifocals. And I said, I will not. <laughs> and she said, do you want to fall off the platform while you're walking on the stage? And I said, I will take them. <laughs> So I'm going to put my glasses on so I can see you, and you all look beautiful tonight. But see, have you ever felt like I'm at the end of my rope, that there's just nothing left, that one wrong move, and I'm going to fall into the abyss of the darkness? I need an answer, God. See, have you ever just laid in bed at night with tears rolling down your eyes and said, God, I just need you to speak to me? I just need you to give me an answer. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm the only person that's been there. But there's been moments in my life where I said, God, if you don't give me an answer, I feel like I'm not going to make it through this. I feel like you're not going to, I'm not going to see the light of day if you don't show up, if you don't show out, if you don't do something incredible in this moment. But see, I love this scripture. If you'll look with me, I hope you have your Bibles. If you don't, you have an app on your phone. I know that's what everybody does now. But Psalm 116, 1 through 6, I love this scripture. It's in the Message Bible. It says, I love God because he listened to me. Listened as I begged for mercy. He listened so intently as I laid out my case before him. Death stared me in the face. Hell was hard on my heels. 
up against it. I didn't know which way to turn. And then I called out to God for help. Please, God, I cried out, save my life. And God is gracious. It is he who makes things right. Our most compassionate God. God takes the side of the helpless. And when I was at the end of my rope, he saved me. He says it right there. When I was at the end of my rope, he saved me. And you know what? We just wrote this book, Restore the Roar, because we went through a season where we were at the end of our rope, a season where we didn't know what tomorrow was going to hold. And somewhere in the midst of it, there was a roar that began to arise inside of us. Somewhere in the midst of the enemy trying to silence our voice, to take our voice away from us, there was a holy roar that began to rise up in our innermost being, in our spirits, in our souls, in the bottom, in the pits of our gut that said, I will not give up. I will not back down. I will not walk away. There has been a stirring in my spirit this entire time preparing for this weekend. I don't know what God has in store for you tonight, but it has been burning inside of me. I don't know what God has in store for the women in this city, in this region, but I know that it has been burning in my spirit. And if you came here expecting, you are going to receive tonight. See, tonight we're going to go from faith to trust. We need your voice tonight. We need you to step up because the day of being mute is over. See, truth is the new hate speech in our region, in our nation, across the world. And the enemy of truth is silence. And when God's children become silent, that's when sin runs rampant because we're so afraid of offending people's flesh that we don't care enough about their spirits to tell them the truth. See, we are not about a donkey or an elephant. We're about the lamb because it's about souls. It's about telling people the truth in love so that they can find a redeeming Savior. See, I love what Amos 3.8 says. It says, the lion has roared, who will not fear? The sovereign Lord has spoken, who can but prophesy? See, it's time to cry out again. It's time to go before him. See, I'm looking for some lionesses to arise in this place, for you to get your roar back, for you to get your voice back, for you to get your purpose back tonight. See, there's a moment where God says, I want to do something more in you than what you have settled for. See, I've learned that oftentimes God has the ability to shift or change a person in one moment. Suddenly, everything can change. Suddenly, my past doesn't matter anymore. Suddenly, what those people did to me when I was a teenager doesn't matter anymore. Suddenly, the things that I did in this time or that time doesn't matter anymore. What they said about me doesn't matter anymore. Suddenly, what happened yesterday doesn't matter anymore. Because what is happening right now could change the very history for generations to come. And will you be a part of that? See, I want to talk to you about a woman that's in the Bible. I want to talk to you about a woman that not many people talk about because it's uncomfortable. 
It's uncomfortable to talk about this woman. And so many people don't really understand a lot about her. But when I read about this woman, I get fired up. When I read about this woman, I have hope. When I read about this woman, I think to myself, if she can change the trajectory of her family, then I can stand up and do the same. See, I want to talk to you about a prostitute. See, we don't really talk about her that often. But I want to talk to you today about a prostitute who changed her identity. See, there's a story in the Bible about a woman whose virtue and her purity had long passed away. She was a prostitute, and the Bible simply calls her Rahab the harlot. Everywhere she is mentioned in the Bible, it's Rahab the prostitute or Rahab the harlot. But no matter how you say it, it still means the same thing. But when I read about this woman, I don't think, in my mind, I don't envision a woman of the night. When I think of her, I don't envision a woman of, uh, of you know, perverseness or any of those things. When I think about this woman, I don't think about a woman of manipulation or any of those. I think of this woman and I think of a hero. When I think of this woman, I think of a woman who chose not to stay where culture had placed her. When I think of this woman, I think of a woman who saw an exit strategy and she said, I'm not going to miss my shot. I'm not going to miss a moment. I'm not going to let my moment pass me by. See, she was a woman that sold her body to strangers. She was a woman who literally sold her body for money. She sold everything just for to be given provisions, to be given money, to be given being taken care of. But see, she had sold herself to strangers, yet she had become a hero. It's really strange to me because God will use the ones that nobody thinks can do anything. God will use the ones that those everybody in the world has given up on that everyone has written off, that everyone has just said they've gone too far. But God sees those, and he says, I can use that. I can take that. I can make that something that's going to bring glory to my kingdom. But see, not only was she a prostitute, but she will also later become the great-grandmother of a king named David. But not only that, she would also become the ancestor of a savior named Jesus. She would be in the lineage of Christ. Matthew 1.5 tells us that. She's even mentioned in the book, the Hebrew book Hall of Fame. See, only the greatest of the greats in the Bible make it to the Hall of Fame. She is listed among the greatest heroes of the Bible, the heroes of faith. This woman, and it actually calls her a harlot. It literally says in Hebrews eleven thirty one, it was by faith that Rahab the prostitute was not destroyed with the people in her city who refused to obey God. There's another translation, the Message Bible, who says in the city who refused to trust 
God. For she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. See, James 2.25, James mentions her, and he says, In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? But why? Why was she mentioned? Can I tell you, it was because she got her roar back. She didn't let her past define her. See, let's go back to the day where she found her roar. It was in Joshua 2, 12 and 13. It says, this is what she said to the spies. The spies made it into her home. Now, this is a prostitute's home. But she was the welcoming committee, as you might say, in the city of Jericho. So it's, they made their way into her home. And this is what she says to them. I found this so intriguing because she's literally making a deal with the spies. She said, now promise me by God, I showed you mercy, now show my family mercy. And give me some tangible proof, a guarantee of life for my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, everyone connected with my family. Save our souls from death. She said, give me some tangible proof. Can I tell you, ladies, it's not until you're willing to confront the lies of hell and step into the boldness of a warrior that God has called you to be that you will restore your roar. See, I love what Matthew eleven twelve 12 says. It says, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and the violent take hold of it. I looked up that word violent, and it means fierce. And one of the translations for fierce literally means to roar like a lion. And I'm thinking, God, you are calling us to charge forth like the lions. Do you know what it means to have your roar restored? She said, give me some tangible proof. See, when his spirit arises once again from the depths of your gut where it has been encaged under lock and key by low expectation, a wounded spirit, and a lack of hunger, then suddenly a ferocious passion awakes. That's what my husband wrote in Restore the Roar. He said, there's going to come a moment where your roar is awakened. But see, I want you to watch Rahab because there's so much in this story because one knock of destiny would lead to the redemption of a family. And the Bible says that Joshua sent out two spies to check out the land. But do you remember that Moses sent Joshua and Caleb along with eight other spies? Moses sent out 10 spies. I think he learned from that mistake. Because when you have too many voices, negativity will always rise to the surface. So what did Joshua do? He sent two. But he sent two trusted spies to check out Jericho. And it says in Joshua 2.1, it says, Joshua the son of Nun secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Be careful when you say that. Believe me, I said it over and over to make sure that I wouldn't say that wrong. He sent two, don't act like you don't do that when you got to say something in front of people. He says, go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. See, it all started with a knock at the door and ended with a rope hanging from a window called Deliverance. 
See, I brought a rope here tonight. I brought a rope because I believe that by the end of this night, that there's going to be some women who are going to grab hold, hold of the lifeline that God's throwing them. That some of you feel like this is the only thing that's standing between you and the destruction of your family. This only thing standing between you and insanity. The only thing standing between you and a life or death diagnosis. The only thing standing between you and a failed marriage is that you're just hanging by a thread. And I want you to know that before the night's over, you're going to be able to reach out and grab hold of the lifeline that God's given you. But see, that scarlet, that scarlet cord is a symbol, a symbol of belonging and commitment. And God's saying, I want you to belong, but I need for you to be committed to who I've called you to be. Thank you. I forget every time we come to North Carolina, the allergies that take over. <laughs> But see, it all started in that moment, and the sudden intrusion of these visitors forced her to make a decision. It forced her to ask herself, whose side will I be on? And God wants to know, whose side are you on tonight? Whose side are you going to take tonight? She was forced to decide whose side she would be on. She committed her faith in God and entrusted her and her family's lives to God. And the Bible says that the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab to send the spies out of her home to be taken captive. Do you ever wonder, how did the king know that they were there? Have you ever wondered that? I thought, at first it seemed, you know, you're just reading along, you're just reading the scripture. But then if you really step back and look at it, you think, okay, but how did he know? He's the king of Jericho. She's a prostitute. How did he know that that's where the spies went? I have come to the conclusion that she was specifically placed at the entrance to the city. Because, see, he knew who she was. Only people that were close to the king would get such great real estate. So evidently, do you think maybe that she could have been a spy for the king? That she was placed intricately right there so that everyone who came into the city she could report to the king who they were. Everyone who came into the city, that she could report what they were doing there. That there were people stationed around her place to report back to the king. She was the welcoming committee of Jericho. Do you ever think that maybe it was a military ploy to ensure that Jericho remained a fortified city? That everyone who came in and everyone who left passed by Rahab the harlot's place because it was a very perverse city. So she was placed there. We don't know how she came to live in Jericho. Evidently, she knew the king. Maybe she was a spy for him. But it appears that she was placed there strategically, maybe even militarily, so that they could protect the city. But in that moment, when the spies entered into her home, I believe that the Holy Spirit and the presence of God came with them. And that when they walked over the threshold of her door, that she encountered something so real that she had never experienced before.
And that in that moment, there was a decision made to have treason against the king. That she would choose whatever it was that she just experienced to give her loyalty to instead of to the king. She would commit treason, and she sends the king word. Because don't you think she had sent word to the king on many occasions of who was entering her home, what their intent was? She had heard everything from traveling people, from soldiers, from all these different people who had come to visit her. And she sends word to the king, and she says, sorry, king, they've already left. But she had actually hid them on the roof. And she said, King, if you hurry, your men might even be able to capture them that way. But she had hid them on the roof. And when she did tell them to leave, she told them to go in the opposite direction to give them a couple of days head start away from the ones who were pursuing them. She lied to the king, which meant that she could be killed because she had committed treason. What was it? that caused her to change her loyalties in the things that provided provision for her family. It was an encounter with those who had been in the presence of God. And she sent them up to the roof to hide them. In this room, there are people, there are the ones that God has called to be bold as lions. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked, wicked run away when no one is chasing them. But the godly are as bold as lions. Can I tell you it's time to take a stand? It's time to take a stand against the lies of culture. It's time to take a stand against the lies of the enemy. The lies of the enemy that tells you that you'll never amount to anything, that you're never going to accomplish your goals, that you're never going to see your dreams accomplished, that your marriage never going to be restored, that your children are never going to get off drugs, that your kids are never going to come back to God. See, the enemy would love to fill your head with lies to keep you in an oppressive state. See, I believe that Jericho was her prison, that she was there and she was looking for an answer and an escape. But see, Matthew 12, 30 says, I love this because we have to pick sides. We have to choose a side. And I'll prove it. In Matthew 12, 30, it says, this is war. And there is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. See, God tells us if you're not on the side of the kingdom, then you are the enemy. If you're not helping advance the kingdom, then you're making things worse for all of us. See, when you won't make a stand, not helping is actually helping the enemy. See, I've learned that God suddenly arouses you from your normal. He waits until you are close to nodding off and the knock comes at your door. He interrupts your normal. I love what Song of Solomon 5.2 says. It says, after this I let my devotion slumber, but my heart for him stayed awake. I had a dream. I dreamed of my beloved. He was coming to me in the darkness of night. The melody of the man I love awakened me. I heard his knock at my heart's door as he pleaded with me, arise, my love. Open your heart, my darling, deeper still to me. Will you receive me this dark night? See the knock on your heart? At the door of your heart is that of a wounded Savior desperately trying to find the bride to be awakened to his presence and ready for him to be the head of the house. See, will you wake up 
Revelation 3.20 tells us, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. See, we live in a day and age where the birth of a child is determined by the mood of a mother. As the very sexual identity of a generation is being sold on the auction block of political correctness. See, I need you to understand that we must rise up. We must change the direction that our nation is going. We must make a decision. We as a church must stand at the crossroads of holiness and popularity as the lost wander past our houses of worship because our empowerment by the Spirit has been replaced by the entertainment of lights, sound, and inaction. When will we rise up? We must awaken ourselves or somebody else will take our place. And bear our cross and thereby rob us of our crown. That's what William Booth said so many years ago. He knew what we would be facing. He said, we must wake ourselves up or somebody else is going to take our place. And here, bear our cross and thereby rob us of our crown. I don't want anyone to take my place. I don't want God to look past me and look for the 14-year-old that's crying out to be used by God because I won't do what I'm called to do. See, I want God to know that I am willing. There's a place that we all must visit, and it's the intersection of faith and trust. Joshua 2, 6 through 7 says this about her. It says, she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. This was the moment that Rahab changed her destiny and my history. She may have changed her destiny, but she changed my history. See, she changed all of our history. See, I know what an unexpected interruption can do to you. I know what something being said to you can do to you. I know when the enemy sideswipes you and something happens that knocks you off your game. See, you see, almost two years ago, that happened to me. I know what it's like for the enemy to come in and bring fear into my life and cause me to have to make a decision of whether I'm going to give in to my own fears or lean in and trust God. See, we all have to come to that moment. See, fear knocked at the front door of my life, in the front door of my house, in the form of a diagnosis, in the form of a cancer diagnosis. See, I'll never forget because it all started in one moment at a kitchen sink with God saying, Karen, do you trust me? See, I was just standing, and many of you may have heard this when I spoke at the RISE conference, and I'll just go through this quickly, but many of you may have heard that I was standing there just doing dishes or probably just standing there because I hate to do the dishes. It's probably waiting for somebody else to come along and take over. (laughs) Honestly, if we want to be honest. But I was standing there, wasn't praying, wasn't interceding, was just standing there. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And he said these words. He said, Karen, you're about to walk through a difficult and uncertain season. 
And I would love to say that I embraced it and I said, bring it on. And I've got the faith to move mountains and I'm going to just run into the battle. But I rebuked it like it was the enemy. I did. I said, my God would not say that to me. My God loves me too much. And immediately I heard the words again and says, Karen, you're about to walk through a difficult and uncertain season. But this time it ended with, but do you trust me? And in that moment, I knew the voice that was speaking to me because he didn't ask me about my faith. He asked me about trust. Because there have been many times in my life where I didn't trust him that he would do what I wanted him to do. When I was longing for another child and I couldn't have another child and I couldn't get pregnant again. And our son, our beautiful son, we had a great family, me and my husband and my son, but I knew that I was supposed to have a daughter. And I couldn't get pregnant and eight years had went by. And I didn't trust that God would do what I wanted him to do. Until one moment in a car, in a moment of intercession and crying out, and I said, God, I can't do this anymore. And he said, good. Then maybe you'll step aside and let me do it. And he gave me a, a vision of the map of China. And he said, there is your miracle. There is your daughter. There is your answer. Are you willing to let yourself go and go and get her? See, I did not rescue her. She rescued me. She was my freedom. And she is a gift of, from God. But see, so many times we want God to do things the way we want him to do it. And if he doesn't do it the way we want him to do it, then we pitch our little hissy fits. And we throw a tantrum. And we say, God, why don't you love me? Why don't you care about me? Why don't you? I want this. I need this. I've done this. And he said, then why don't you step out of the way and let me do what I do? Why don't you step out of the way and trust me that my ways are higher than your ways, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, that you can never want for yourself more than what I want for you. See, I was standing there at the kitchen sink, and he spoke that to me, and finally, right after that happened, I began to develop symptoms. And I couldn't explain them. And after months and months of different doctor's visits, I finally got the diagnosis. Karen, you have leukemia. And I'll never forget sitting in that oncologist's office. And I was looking across at him as I sat on that table. And all I heard, every word that was coming out of his mouth just went silent. I could see his mouth moving, but I couldn't hear a word he was saying. And all I heard was a thunder from heaven that said, but do you trust me? Do you trust me, Karen? And I had a decision to make in that moment. Would I trust him? Because see, after all that moments, do you trust me? Because he didn't ask me about my faith. He asked me about trust. I had a choice to rise up and do something for something to awaken in me that I didn't even know was inside of me. 
See, there was a strength, there was a roar, there was a power, there was a determination, there was a perseverance that rose up inside of me that he placed in me at a kitchen sink six months prior that said, you have everything inside of you to determine, that's going to determine the outcome of this situation. And I had to make a decision. I learned the power of next level faith. And graduated faith is trust. See, I ask you today, who do you trust? See, Rahab was now entrusting her whole life, her whole world, to two spies that meant to destroy the city. Two men she didn't even know. They were different. They weren't like all the other men that came into her house that were just looking for their self-gratification. They weren't like every other person that came in wanting something from her. These men were different. They were on a mission for God. They were on a mission to do something for God. And when they entered her home, the atmosphere changed. See, throughout my life, I've always considered faith and trust to be pretty much the same thing. But the season that I was about to enter into would take me on a class lesson and give me a lesson in the difference between those two words. And I'm so glad it did. See, the enemy will use your seasons of rest to trick you into thinking that you don't need God. To think that you have it all figured out. To think that you are the one, you are the master of your destiny. That you can make things happen. See, it's important to understand the difference between faith and trust. The definition of faith is literally allegiance to a duty or a person. A belief and trust in a loyalty to God. It is a firm belief in something for which there is no proof. And the Bible says this about faith in Hebrews 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. See, believing, seeing those things that are not as though they were, seeing my child is being delivered even though they're on the street strung out on drugs, seeing my marriage as being fulfilling and full of love even though the world has given up on it, seeing my life being a life of purpose even though I've let my dreams die, seeing the things that are not right now as though they were. See, faith means that I know that I know that I know that God is real. I know he's with me. I know he can heal. He can deliver. He can set free. I can't see him with my physical eyesight, but my belief goes beyond human comprehension. My faith is a result of my encounter with him. See, the difference in faith and trust, my faith is a result in my as a result of my encounter with him. I encountered him, and something changed inside of me. Something changed as a 13-year-old little girl sitting on a bench in the middle of a school courtyard when I was hopeless, when I was lost, when I felt invisible, when I felt like no one heard me, when I felt like no one saw me. The Holy Spirit sat down on that bench beside me, put his arms around me, and I heard the audible voice of God saying, Karen, I see you. I know you. I know it's not going to be hard. You're going to have a rough life, but if you'll allow me to, I'll walk this journey with you. It won't be easy, but you won't be alone. And no matter what I faced, I knew I was never alone. See, but trust goes a little bit further. Trust is different because it requires something more, something deeper. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord completely and don't rely on your own opinions. 
With all your heart, rely on him to guide you, and he will lead you in every decision you make. Become intimate with him in whatever you do, and he will lead you wherever you go. See, trust requires relationship. Trust requires relationship. It's the complete reliance and confidence in something or someone based on personal experience. So in that moment at that kitchen sink, he didn't ask me about faith because I had encountered him. I knew him. He lived in my heart. But he said, Karen, I need you to go a little bit deeper. I need you to trust me based on my reputation, not on your circumstance. I need you to trust me based on our, our life together. Pull out the, the photo album of our life, of how I've never left you, never forsaken you. You should have been dead by now, but here you are. Based on the fact that I rescued your son, that I brought you your daughter, that I brought you a godly man. See, God was saying, I have proven who I am to you. That's what trust is all about. See, it means to go confidently in integrity, strength, and ability of a person or thing, to hope and expect confidently. And I love this, to go somewhere or do something without fear of consequences. That means I can step out on the water and not fear sinking. That means I can step out into the unknown and not fear what's out there waiting on me. It means I can go where no one has gone before. See, because fear is courage waiting to be awakened. See, Rahab had faith that the spies, God, was a big God. See, she ran a tavern and a hotel by the walls of the city. She had seen every religion. She had seen everything come through the city. She had heard every perversion. She had seen every perversion. She had heard all the juicy gossip and the news that would come through the city. But in that moment, but when the reports of a God, the one true God, had come down through the pipe that the Israelites had served, that when that news came to her, she knew that God was the real deal, that she knew he was God the only God, and she had a holy fear of him. See, look at Psalm 147, 11. Because here's what I want to tell you. Psalm 147, 11 says, The Lord shows favor to those who fear him, to his godly lovers who wait for his tender embrace. See, all we need is a holy fear of God, not a fear and trembling like he's going to hurt me, he's going to do something, but an awe of him that says he is everything. He is the almighty. He is the powerful. He can do anything. Everybody can bow in his presence because he is the one who can rescue me from the enemy. See, her godly fear would lead to her deliverance. Fear actually caused Rahab to do the right thing. She hid the spies. And it says in Joshua 2.8, this is, I love this, because it says the spies lay down for the night, but she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land. How did she know that? She said, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Because she had heard the stories coming through the city. She said, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. 
and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She heard of the plagues in, the, in Egypt. She heard of the miracles in the desert. She heard of how God had walked with them, had protected them, had provided for them. Everyone who had come through the city, everyone who had stopped by her place had told her, have you heard about the Israelites? Have you heard about the God of the Israelites? And she knew the moment they stepped into her house that she was housing someone that was going to change the course of history. See, I know what fear from Satan can do because cancer was my enemy. My faith and my trust were being tested. My body was at war with the enemy. See, Satan's goal is to neutralize the the delivering anointing that is in you. See, has your heart ever melted in fear? When my doctor gave me that report, I had to decide. I was in that moment hanging by a thread in that doctor's office. But God had, all he needed to do was say, do you trust me? Do you trust me? I can change your life. See, I had to wake up and quit thinking it was all about me. See, so many times we as women, we think everything's about us. We think everything is about poor, pitiful me. I just got a cancer diagnosis. God, what am I going to do? What is, I mean, how could this happen to me? How could you let this happen to me? No, my family needs me. My family needs me. I still have a voice that needs to be heard. See, I had to choose. Do I cower in fear to a diagnosis that goes against the blood of God? Or do I stand up and say, no, no way, devil. Not today, devil, not in my house, not in my body, not in this century, not in this family. You know what? This diagnosis is not going to be a part of my kid's legacy. It's not going to be a part of my kid's history. My kids are not going to see me cower in the face of the enemy. They're going to see me rise up and roar and fight and tell the devil that my God is greater, my God is bigger, my God is powerful, and I believe the word of the Lord. I believe his promises to be true because fear is just a learned or perceived aberration or hallucination that grows into an absolute. But faith is the antidote to fear and trust is the empowerment that keeps you going. See, one day God showed me, and I shared this, and so I'm just going to run through it briefly. One day God shared this with me in the darkest of the darkest of the moments in that middle of that cancer diagnosis, and he gave me a scripture that would get me through that 2 Timothy 1.7. He said, Karen, do you not know that I didn't give you a spirit of fear? I didn't give that to you. I don't know what you're listening to. I don't know where you're going, but I didn't give you a spirit of fear. That came from the enemy. But I did give you three weapons to defeat it. I gave you power, love, and a sound mind. And those are actually weapons. They're not just something that God threw out there. Everything in the Bible is for a purpose. Everything in the Bible is for a reason. Everything in the Bible is to empower you. Everything in the Bible is to give you strength. Everything in the Bible is to give you hope. Everything in the Bible is to tell you, you win the victory when you trust God. 
And he said, I gave you power, which means the ability to see miraculous signs and wonders, the ability to direct or influence the behavior of others or the course of events. It's the ability to change the atmosphere. When those spies walked into Rahab's house, they changed the atmosphere. And when Rahab made the decision to step away from the king and to commit her life to God, she changed the atmosphere that would change her family. Are you ready to do that for your family tonight? But he gave us love. And the Bible tells us that God is love. And that perfect love casts out fear because love is the only word in the Bible that they give a complete definition for it. Because it is the characteristics of who God is. And it says that love is patient, kind, not proud or self-seeking, not easily angered. It forgives. It doesn't delight in evil. It rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. And it always perseveres. So when Rahab decided to commit to God, she said, I can hope in the one who can deliver me. I can persevere to the very end. I can trust him. And I can live my life in perfect love. But he gives you a sound mind. And that means that it's been delivered, rescued, revived, salvaged, protected, brought into a place of safety and security so that it's no longer affected by illogical, unfounded, and absurd thoughts. God gave me this to tell me those thoughts you're having, they're being planted there by the enemy. But if you will step up and change the atmosphere, if you will trust me, then every knee will have to bow, every tongue confess that I am the one who healed you. I am the one who gives you life. I am the one who gives you hope. Job 33, 4 says, the spirit of God made me, but the breath of the almighty gives me life. It's not this world that gives me life. It's not a doctor. It's not a diagnosis. It's the breath of the one who made me that gives me life. And he said, put that on a poster, hang it in your office. And every every morning, decree that over your life. See, he gives us weapons. Billy Sunday said, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and lo, no one was there. See, Rahab was having an awakening to who God was. She was having a salvation moment. See, ladies, are you ready to be awakened? Everyone stand with me. Worship team, you can start coming towards the front. Ladies, I want to tell you tonight, deliverance will come. Hold on. Hold on. See, you may have a waiting season in your life, but deliverance will come. Rahab was scared to death. She had faith, but now she needed trust. Joshua 2.12 says that in that moment when she realizes and she's awakened, she said, promise me. By God. See, she realized he was the only one that was true. Promise me by God. Because I showed you mercy, now show mercy to me. Show mercy to my family. Give me some tangible proof, guarantee of life for my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters. See, I don't want freedom just for you. I want freedom to run down through the bloodline of your family, to your brothers, to your sisters, to your mom, to your dad, to your sons and your daughters, to your grandchildren. You are the key to unlocking freedom in your family. And in that moment, this is what they say to her. They tell her, trust us. 
They tell her to trust them. And Joshua says, our lives for your life. And the men assured her, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Not if. When the Lord gives us the land, we will treat you kindly. And she lowers the spies out the window. And then they tell her in Joshua 2.17, lower a rope. They look at her and they said, lower a rope out your window. A scarlet rope. And they said, that same scarlet rope will be your salvation. Now, I don't know if you're picking up on a theme here. But they looked at her and they said, we will be back. And when we enter the land to conquer it, make sure you lower the scarlet rope outside this very window. But make sure you don't tell anybody what we're doing or else we won't come and rescue you. See, she would have to wait. Some of you have been in a waiting season. You've waited and you've waited and you've given up on the promises that God has given you because it didn't happen when you wanted it to happen. Do you know I waited almost 12 years from the birth of my son to the birth of my daughter. From the moment I gave birth to him to the moment I held her in my arms, 12 years. It didn't happen the way I thought it would happen. It didn't happen when I thought it would happen. It didn't happen in any way that I even thought comprehensible. But when it happened, it placed a love inside my heart that I did not even know existed. It opened up a chamber of my heart that I did not even know was there. And it brought a fulfillment and a joy and a purpose in my life that I never knew existed. But it wasn't for me. It was because there was a little girl that was born in Nanchang, China, that God said, I've got to replant her. I've got to plant her all the way over here in the United States because I've got a purpose for her life. I've got a purpose for her life. I've got a purpose for what she's going to do and the people she's going to rescue and the people that she's going to minister to. It had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with her. It had everything to do with her purpose. I was just the vessel that had to become willing to open my heart. See, she says, I'll lower the rope. And she would have to wait. And in the waiting, it's in the waiting that God works it out. It's in the waiting that victory comes. It's in the waiting that we hear his voice. It's in the waiting that we develop patience and endurance. Don't waste the waiting. Because it's in the waiting. See, I've learned far more in the waiting and in the darkness than I ever have in the victory. 
I've learned far more in those moments. I waited eight months with a cancer diagnosis. Every time I went to the doctor, the same diagnosis, you have leukemia, you have leukemia, you have leukemia. And every time I would say, I reject that. I reject that. I don't receive that. That's not what God has for me. And every time I would take this diagnosis and I would place it on the altar and I would that we have in our home and I would pray Psalm 5 every morning you're going to hear me at it again God you're going to get sick and tired of my voice God because every morning I'm going to lay the pieces of my life on your altar and I'm going to wait for your fire to descend because I know there's brokenness in me and there's brokenness in some of you just like Rahab she was broken I don't know what led her to the place in life, the lot in life that she had. But I'm sure it wasn't the choice that she would have made. I'm sure it wasn't the, the dreams and the aspirations that she had as a young girl. But life somehow had led her down a path that led her into a darkness, a prison, a, a fortified prison that she was, she was just stuck there. But God said, I've got an answer. See, no matter what you've walked through, no matter where you've been, no matter what your life has dealt you, no matter what family you come from, no matter what happened to you when you were a child, no matter what happened to you this morning, no matter what happened to you in your life or who your, who your, uh, your acquaintances have been and the things that have led you to where you're at, God says, one moment, give me one moment. Just give me one moment. See, she would wait. Your faith in God will make you righteous, but your trust in God will make you dangerous. I want to be dangerous to hell. See, she would wait for Israel to invade. And when they did invade, they marched seven times for seven days. Can you see her? I don't know about you, but being up in that tower, up in that room, up in that house, right at the entrance to the city, having all my family in there, my mom, my dad, because it says she brought her mother, her father, her sisters, her brothers, and they were all in there probably going, what do you have us here for? What is this all about? Why? I know you've said the city's going to crumble, but that's never going to happen. And she had to tell him, just hold on, just wait, just trust, just trust the process, just trust what God has told me, just trust what this spies have said and she's pacing back and forth she had to listen to them walk around the city seven times every day 49 times she had to listen to them shout to listen to them blow the trumpet to listen and thinking what is this going to look like how am I going to be saved how is we how are we not going to go down with the city every day for seven days and the bible says the seventh time around when the priest sounded the trumpet blast Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. There's some moments where some women in here need to raise a shout, who need to raise up a voice, who need to raise up a shout for your babies, who need to raise up a shout for your household, who need to raise a shout for your city, who need to raise a shout for your neighborhoods, who need to raise a shout for all the drug dealers that are on the street, for all the prostitutes that are on the street, for all the dirty, the wretched, the ones that everybody has counted out. Some people need to raise a shout and give up their seats so that the lost can come in and be saved. 
See, she waited seven days as they marched around the city. And she would experience the walls of the city falling in Joshua 6.20. And they, when they raised that shout, can you see her up in that tower? And the buildings began to tremble and the rocks began to fall and everything. She could hear the screams of the people outside as they began to be covered up by the rocks and the brick and the mortar and all of those things. And the city began to crumble all around her. But not one picture fell off the wall in her house. Not one dish broke to the ground. Not one thing and her home was tattered or broken or, or put out of place. Nothing in her home was messed up. And I imagine she stood there as everything fell around her. And the house that she was in, every part of that city fell except Rahab's home. And outside her, sit, her window was this rope, this scarlet rope, this scarlet thread that the spies had told her to put in there. And see, God keeps his word. God keeps his word to you. Her deliverer had arrived. And it says, the Bible says, after the city was destroyed, they went in and rescued Rahab and her family just as they had promised. See, Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and everyone who belonged to her because she hid them, hid the men of Joshua, the spies, and she lived among the Israelites to this day. But can I tell you, she lives in our hearts as well. Because see, 1,400 years later, this woman would be in the lineage of Christ. See, this one act of obedience, this one decision that she made, she would marry a man named Salmon, who would be the father of Boaz. She would be the mother of Boaz. Do you all remember Boaz? You remember the story of Ruth and Naomi? And Ruth decided with one defiant act to leave her land of perversion, to leave a heathen nation, the Moabite nation, because she saw something in Naomi. She saw something in Naomi, and she said, wherever you go, I'll go. Wherever you live, I'll live. I will serve your God. And Boaz sees Ruth gleaning in his field. His mother was Rahab. And I believe that Boaz saw her in her, his mother, he saw the same determination to make a different life. He saw the same determination to make a decision to change the trajectory of her family. And he redeemed her as her kinsman redeemer. See, his mother had told him about faith and trust. Rahab had taught Boaz about faith and trust, about what it means to make the difficult decisions, about what it means to stand up and make a stand. And when he saw Ruth, he saw the same determination in her. And then Boaz and Ruth would marry, and they would have Obed, who would have a son named Jesse who would have a son named David. Just three generations down from the lowest of the lowest, a prostitute in Jericho. 
See, don't count yourself out yet. Don't count the lady next to you out. You may know a little bit about her history. You may know a little bit about what she's walked through. You may know a little bit about what she's done in her past. But God says, I can take you and I can make you a force to be reckoned with in hell. I can make you a force to be reckoned with that the enemy won't know what to do with you when I get a hold of you. See, she would be in the lineage of Christ. But why a scarlet rope? The original scarlet thread or crimson cord is an Old Testament reference about birthright. And the metaphor picks up on to mean leading rights. So that word crimson cord or scarlet thread meant one having preeminent rights over something. She had the right to live. She had the right to thrive. She had the right to make history. She had the right to matter. And there's some of you who have wrote yourself off and think you don't deserve anything better than what you're stuck in. You don't deserve anything better than what you've settled for. But my God says, when you reach out, when you take hold of the scarlet thread that he gave to you, you have the right to step out of whatever you're in and to become whoever he's called you to be. See, I want you to go with me really quick as we close. I want you to go with me to Matthew 27, 50. See, I want you to go with me because if you'll bring that scripture up, it says, then Jesus passionately cried out. See, before I, before I read that, I want you to say, because there was another scarlet thread that ran down the back of a cross. See, I love our Savior so much because there was also another earthquake. See, because it says in Matthew 27, 50, Jesus passionately cried out. Just like the Israelites did when they marched around Jericho, they cried out. They sounded the trumpet and the walls came crumbling down. But Jesus on the cross for you and me passionately cried out. He took his last breath. He gave up the spirit. At that moment, the veil in the Holy of Holies was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth shook violently. And the rocks were split apart and graves were opened. Can I tell you that there was an earthquake just like there was at Jericho. And the same red thread that hung out her window was hanging on the cross for you and I to take hold of. So that we could step out of the darkness, step out of the shadows, step out of the junk, step out of the prison that the enemy has put us in. And he said, I tore the veil for you. I caused an earthquake for you. But just like Rahab's house... It was still standing because when Jericho fell and there was smoke and there was rubble, she was still standing. And when Jesus died on the cross and the earthquake happened and everything began to shake, can I tell you he stepped out of hell with the keys to your freedom? And when the smoke cleared, he was still standing. He was still standing for you so that you could walk out in freedom. See, he was your scarlet thread. He was your scarlet rope, your lifeline. See, he was Rahab's lineage. And all 
these years later, he's still the scarlet rope. He's still here for you. And see, I love because Isaiah 118 says, Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. See, the blood of Jesus is my lifeline. It's my freedom. See, it's time for you to get your identity back. Everybody close your eyes with me. See, you are the righteousness of God. And you have a right to live. You have a right to matter. You have a right to make a difference. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us we can get our identity back. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ladies, you may be hanging by a thread tonight. But when the smoke clears, you can still be standing. Amidst all the rubble, with just one act of obedience. See, I believe that Jesus is standing here today. And he's saying, will you take the red thread? Will you take the bloodline that I gave you? He's saying, will you grab hold of the red thread, your lifeline, to be delivered tonight? See, I don't know about you, but I'm willing I'm willing to commit treason against the enemy. He doesn't get my loyalties anymore. See, for some of us, for so many years, our loyalty has been divided. And God's saying, whose side are you on tonight? If you need to be rescued tonight with every eye closed, with every head bowed, I want to ask you, will you take the rope? Will you be the lifeline for your family to see deliverance? If you need freedom tonight, if you're saying, God, I'm hanging by a thread. But see, what I didn't tell you was, he was my lifeline. And I went through six months, eight months, with a cancer diagnosis. And I was going to Brazil to speak. Pastor Marisi, Pastor Miriam were there. I didn't tell anyone that I had cancer because I didn't want my issue, my circumstance to cause doubt in anyone because I knew it was not my final destination. And my doctor had actually asked me not to leave the country. He said, I don't want you to leave, Karen. I actually want you to come in for a bone marrow, bone marrow biopsy and start bone marrow transplants. And I said, no. I said, God has called me to Brazil. And this is just a distraction to what God wants to do there. And I said, if you'll let me wait till I get back, I'll come in the day after I get back for a bone marrow biopsy. And he said, okay. 
So I went to Brazil, and I stepped up on that stage, and he began to mock me and taunt me. The enemy began to tell me, you're a fake, you're a fraud, you're a liar. You're going to speak to these women on hope, on freedom, on deliverance, on healing. I was speaking on the woman with the issue of blood, and I was that woman. And in that moment, the roar inside of me, the bloodline, the, the red scarlet rope of hope began to pour over me. And in that moment, there was a roar that began to rise up inside of me. And I said, no, devil, you are the liar. You are the fake. You are the fraud. You are the one that intimidates. You are the one that imitates the real lion. But I serve the lion of the tribe of Judah whose roar will send you running out the back door. And I'm going to speak to these women about what I know is true about what I know is right and I'm going to speak to these women about what is going to happen I am seeing those things and speaking those things that are not as though they are and I walked up on that platform and I opened my notes and the same spirit that said do you trust me said Karen your blood has been made whole my God is a great big God And I came home, Pat was in North Carolina speaking, and we called each other and I said, God told me my blood is made whole, and he said, God just spoke to me on stage that the storm is over. And I come home and I went to the doctor and I said, I promised the doctor I would come in for a bone marrow biopsy, and I went in and the doctor said, well, let's take your blood before we do the bone marrow biopsy so we know what the levels are. And he sent me to the bone marrow operating room and I went in and I got ready for this procedure and a few minutes later after they tested my blood the oncologist walked in and he stood at the door for a few moments speechless and he said Karen I don't know what to tell you I don't know how to explain it I don't even understand it myself but when you came in here you had cancer but today your blood is completely normal and you are healed see I have a God that his bloodline came down not only for rape have, but it came down all these years later through my history, through my genealogy, and it said, I still rescue and preserve. See if you need healing tonight. This altar's open. See, when I needed rescuing, no one had to ask me to come to the altar. No one can keep me from the altar. See, the altar is not just a piece of wood. It's the place where what you have been gets interrupted by who you can become. And if you want freedom tonight, then that same red thread is waiting on you. If you want to change the trajectory of your family, that same red thread is waiting for you. So I'm asking you, if you want to encounter him, if you want him to do a miracle in your life, then I want you to step out of your seat right now and I want you to come to this altar.